0: Good morning and welcome to the Black Pill Radio Show. I'm your host, Tyler, and today we have a wonderful topic. We are talking about building black wealth, specifically building black wealth within the black community. Um, Sitting with me in studio today, I have Courtney Richardson. She is a small business owner in Philadelphia. She also works with clients on building businesses, starting businesses, and investments. I also have Shalia Walker, and she is a small business owner in New Jersey, and she will be on a panel talking about how to start a business. On the uh, telephone lines today, we have four panelists, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So ladies, we'll start with you guys, and we'll start with Michelle Hartley.
1: Hi, uh, good morning. My name is Michelle Hartley. I'm a management consultant, um, retired ex-executive um, VP, um, I was a Wall Street portfolio manager for about 17 years. And um, I now work as an organizational and analyst, and I'm a professor at finance at, at CUNY in New York City.
0: Thanks to be here. Oh, thank you, Michelle. So next up, let's have Walita.
2: Hi, everybody. My name is Walida, and I'm from Dallas. Um, I am the CEO of Walida Sheree Financial Education Solutions. Um, and so what that basically means is that I learned everything about finance, and I teach it to people. I am a teacher by profession, and so I that I use my gifts in something that I really have a passion for, and um, that is finance. So I teach people about budgeting, um, savings, different types of retirement funds, different types of insurances, um, as well as understanding different types of investments. And thank you guys for having me here today.
3: Um, Good morning everyone. My name is Doreen Iafora. I am the CEO of RAIN Consulting. We are a financial consulting firm so we help individuals as well as small businesses uh, manage their finances in their accounting services and their budgeting and increase revenue to their bottom line. Um, We actually uh, really do place a lot of emphasis lately. We've been placing it on financial education for the uh, individuals in minority population. So I'm really happy to be here.
0: Thank you. And lastly, hopefully LaShawn is on the line with us.
4: Uh, Yes, good morning. I'm here. Uh, My name is LaShawn Allen Muhammad. I'm the Brooklyn Director of the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce, and I am working right now with an affordable housing um, product uh, called NACA, and um, we're um, very excited to have them open their office in Brooklyn.
0: All right. Sounds wonderful, ladies. So everybody's in the room, and I appreciate that. So I want to throw the first question to Courtney. And this first question is general. So according to many statistics, Black people as a group, we are the poorest people in America. So how do we change this, and how do we start to increase wealth within the Black community?
5: I think it's a big, the biggest thing is that it's a three-pronged approach. The first thing is that we have to – get our wealth in this generation, and then we have to move it on to the next generation. So the first thing is that we have to save and invest and be mindful of what we're doing now. Then the next thing is that we have to be able to share that wealth um, with, our, with the next generation, so making sure that we have wills in place. And then the final thing is that for everyone, we have to educate ourselves about finances. It's so important that we educate, we understand how this thing works, and that we can play this game of finances better than anyone else. It's about that education, about cutting back on consumerism, um, learning how to save, learning how to invest, to be able to pass something on to the next generation.
0: Sounds wonderful. So I want to throw that same question to Shalia. How do we begin to build wealth within the black community?
6: Well, I completely agree with everything Courtney said. And I think um, she addressed consumerism. Consumerism is a huge problem amongst everyone. And I think that's one of the first steps is controlling where we spend our money, what we spend our money on. Next thing I feel that we need to look to is uh, entrepreneurship and creation. Um, with those two, we can take more control over what we have in our lives, the lives that we are creating.
0: All right, sounds really good. So, LaShawn, when, it, when we talk about building black wealth within our communities, where do you feel we should start?
4: Um, so, again, I agree with the, uh, what the young lady said regarding entrepreneurship, but also home ownership. We need to own the businesses in our community and own homes in our communities. You know, we're not going to build wealth by renting apartments forever. So that's another component that I I think we need to take a serious
1: look at.
0: Okay. And, Michelle, where do you feel we need to start?
1: Well, one thing that I do at CUNY is um, I'm part of the program called College Now. And what that is, we have high-achieving high school students throughout the five boroughs of New York City, and they apply to get in a program where they take um, college credits. They get three credits for each course that they take, in finance and uh, entrepreneurship. And I teach entrepreneurship primarily. So I think you have to start with that younger generation as well. So by the time these these kids, they finish, a lot of times when they get to college, they're already high school sophomores with, with 15 to 18 credits in finance and entrepreneurism. And I think that's a really good base. By the time they're finished, they know how to start up the business, they understand all of the markets, domestic and international. They know every, as much as they can about human resources and um, how to evaluate taxes and so on and so forth. And then they actually are passing that information along to their parents. I've had some of their parents actually join the courses. So I work with the youngsters, and that's a good place to start. Another thing I've noticed uh, in working so many years on Wall Street is a lot of the larger firms don't tend, don't have a tendency to market in our neighborhoods under the assumption that we're not necessarily have the assets to invest in the markets, which is obviously false. So another thing I do is I teach in a community, whether it's a firehouse or I go to schools or I teach in a lot of churches that the assets start from a dollar. So I teach people how to figure out what type of retirement plan is good for them with an IRA, if they're a business, a SEP plan, the things they can do that's tax advantage. So it's just education, education, education. And um that's all you can do in the community marketing yourself that you're there to help. Do a lot of volunteer work and I love working with the children. That's you know really where it starts as well.
0: So when you work with the children, um I don't know how long you've been doing it, but have any of them have actually taken what they learned from your classroom and use those strategies in the real business world? And if so Have any of them have, like, a successful business or recently launched a business?
1: Well, so I'm working with ages 15 to 18. Good question. And the answer to that is yes. So I've had three students that now are freshmen in college. One has a beauty and makeup business. Um, A few of them have developed specific applications that have gotten patented and have their own businesses. So I would say over the last five years of running the entrepreneurship program, I have about maybe 26 to 30 students that have actually have businesses that are started up that are still actually moving and growing. So that's very sure. gratifying to know.
0: Sounds wonderful. So let me throw the next question to Walida. Um, Walida, where do you think we should start when it comes to creating Blackwell?
2: Okay, so the first thing that I think that people need to do first is their mentality, um, so knowing that money can be achieved in terms of wealth. Um, so the first thing that people need to, the first step they should take is learning how to budget, so that's basically teaching you how to discipline yourself to know where your money is going exactly. Are you spending your money primarily on bills? Um, does your money go more on leisure items? Understanding where your money is flowing is the first step. I believe in achieving wealth, um, because if you don't have the discipline, you can be like a lottery winner who wins millions of dollars and be broke in another year or two because you don't know how to utilize the money. So having education about the money and then knowing how to allocate the money, I believe is the first step in um, achieving wealth.
0: Okay, sounds really good. Everybody's given a lot of good examples and they're different so far. So I want to ask the next question to Doreen. Same question, as a matter of fact. Um, how do we start to create wealth within the black community?
3: You know, I, I absolutely agree with all the answers so far. One of the ways that I think um, is very important is education. You know, there are, I've met with a lot of young women and men who want. You know financial tools they they want to know that they have access to wealth Um, unfortunately they don't know where to start and in order to to move towards you know financial um, literacy financial success in our community we have to start by providing uh, young individuals with the tools or access to the tools and let them know that they have the ability to to achieve financial success in the long run with you know um, things like budgeting uh, success um, how to manage investing, savings. You know, a lot of individuals that I've spoken to, unfortunately, they work in organizations. They're, they're professionals, and very few of them have actually started doing things like contributing to their 401K, and that's because nobody's really told, you know, of the importance of such a contribution. So I think education is, is
5: very important.
0: Okay, so we have two people talking about education, um, somebody mentioned we need to start building our credit first, and those are the first steps we should take. Um, Lashawn Muhammad mentioned ownership, home ownership, and Walida talked about changing our mentality and start to budget better, start to be more fiscally responsible with our money. So I want to throw the next question to Shalia, because Shalia is a business owner. So I want to know for you, when, you started, when did you first start thinking about owning a business? And what was the process of bringing that thought into actual fruition?
6: I first started thinking about owning a business.
0: um,
6: I guess I was maybe like 24 around that. I worked in corporate. I worked in IT. And um, I had a great job. I had a great position. I traveled. um, But I had no passion. And that's when I really had to go back in the lab with myself and figure out what I wanted to do because I knew staying in this job that I would have a cap on my life. And just the idea of having a cap on my life, my income didn't sit well with me. I knew it might take starting from the beginning, but I I knew that my options were limitless once I would take things in my own hands.
0: So did you have anybody in your life who tried to discourage you or just kind of talk you out of doing it?
6: Yes. I had, um, I remember I was dating someone at the time, and he was like, this is the best job you'll ever have in your life. He was just like, why would you walk away from this? And I just knew that it was a great job and it was a great lifestyle, but my passion wasn't there. And I knew that it was being really small-minded to just stop with a great job because it was just a job.
0: (laughs) Right. So I assume you're not with him anymore. (laughs) Okay. Good good call. So yeah, sometimes we'll have people out there who will try to discourage us from pursuing our dreams, pursuing our passions. um, And they want us to stick to a job and not own a business. But the thing with having a job is it's something we can't pass down, right? We can't have residual income and pass it down to our children and our children's children. We can't go to Mr. Charlie and say, make sure my kid gets his job when I'm finished with the job. Like, that's, gonna, that's not going to happen. But we can definitely pass down assets, wealth, land, ownership, that kind of thing. So that's the mindset, as Walida had mentioned, that we need to get into. So, so staying with the, the idea of changing our mentality, Ms. Walida, I would like you to talk a little bit more about what we can do specifically. Um, give us some, a lot of options of what people out there can do specifically to change their mentality about saving and about wealth creation and thinking about passing that wealth down to their children.
2: Okay, so the first thing um, I would do as an exercise is I would envision myself as an elderly individual. Um, so me being the age I am right now, saying how, how would my life look later? So the decisions I think people need to think about when they're making them today is how is that going to affect their future selves? So if you are a splurger now, when you finally get to the point when you're relying on the fixed income, how is that going to look for you? So that's what I mean by changing your mentality so that you can still live good now, but later on still have that same opportunity to live the lifestyle that you want. Um, so the specific measures would be to first pay off whatever debts you owe because you can't truly accumulate wealth as long as you're own – you're borrowing from other people and you need to give back money to other people. So um, figuring out a way to pay your debts back. Some people like what's called the snowball effect. That basically is whatever your smallest debt is, paying that off first so that you can build up confidence to be able to pay off the rest. Uh, Whereas some people argue that if you pass the higher interest debt or loan, um, then that will – You know, save more money in the long run Because you're not paying the high interest rates So, paying off your debts um, Learning about Different types of investments When I was younger, I was told to put my money In the CD Well, when I did further research I mean, it it wasn't going to yield money At all, not the type of money I wanted Uh, Furthermore, if I wanted to take The money out, it was going to be a penalty To take it out sooner than later Um, So I would say, number one Plan for the future, starting today. Don't wait until tomorrow to plan for the future. Um, Learn what type of investments will give you the best return. Don't just put your money in something, and then in 20 years, you probably only earned $600. So know what type of risk you're willing to take. Are you a high-risk or a low-risk person? Depending on that answer will determine which type of investment you would need to
0: uh,
2: look towards. And then also you want to protect your family members. If you have people who depend on you, knowing that you need to have a life insurance policy, you don't want to pass away and then leave your family all the debt. So knowing what type of life insurance policy uh, will best fit you is something that you also need to know about. Um, And then, again, just education. I wouldn't per se say go to Uh, formal education you can take classes you can read books the internet has a plethora of information so just understanding and educating yourself I believe is the the measures that people should take
5: so just to follow up on uh, this is Courtney just to follow up on what Malita was saying Um, I think it's so important that we have to change our mentalities, as she said, but then begin with the end in mind. Essentially, what Olita was saying was kind of vision yourself as an elderly person. But I say begin with the end in mind and kind of begin with your goals. What do you want this to look like? Next year, what do you want your financial situation to look like in two years, in three years, in four years, five years, and then looking overall and then making your your goals from there and saying, okay, I want this, I want to have my own business in five years. And I think it's really important that we kind of figure out what's important to us. I think we, a lot of people spend time chasing someone else's values. Um, there's more than one way to peel a potato. So it's okay if, you're not, if you don't have a passion to be a business owner. You know, what you can do is find ways to get yourself additional income in addition to your job, in addition to what's going on um, in your current job. And then you can say, okay, I either I have real estate, I have stocks and bonds and mutual funds. So that's another thing that you can do. Um, also, to the point about life insurance, it's it's going to, people say, like, I don't have – well, if you have somebody to take that depends on your salary, you should have life insurance. But life insurance is necessary because it's going to cost something to put your body away, whether you're cremated, whether you're put in the ground, whatever your uh, – burial ritual in, tends to be, it's going to cost something. And I know so many people, especially in our community, are still paying for a funeral that happened five years ago because there was nothing to cover it. So it's, it's kind of like all of those things together, especially in terms of looking into CDs. And And I talk about bank products and I just, they, we, we last, Um, and call them certificates of death because a lot of times they don't even keep up with inflation. So by having your money in a CD and having it locked away for say three years or five years, you're not even meeting um, inflation, so therefore you're losing money. So it's, it's so important to look into the stock market, to look into bonds, to look into ETFs, to look into something that's going to be inflation so you're able to kind of at the very minimum maintain what you have because over time the time value of money will come down. It will erode your wealth if you do nothing.
0: All right. Sounds very interesting because a lot of people can take that, that life insurance policy from somebody who died and left you that money and they can use that money to start creating wealth. So when we don't have those life insurance policies, and then we're burdened with trying to get money and we got only go goFundMe me, bury people, <laughs> you know, so we're asking a community to help us when we could have took care of that ourselves and had a nest egg from that, you know, split it amongst the children or whatever, and they can start investing that or that could be money to be used to get out of debt. And now they freed up income that they have to use to start creating businesses that's very good advice. I want to take the next question to LaShawn.
1: Tyler, can we talk about creating? May I build on that a little bit, please?
0: Oh, sure, definitely.
1: Sure. No, I think the, the ladies um, hit the ball on the head with everything. But I want to say something about life insurance, um, which I'm certain uh, most of you would agree with. The, you know, the real purpose of it is so that your family members can, can continue to have some similar standard of living that they had before they, before you passed away you know, aside from burial as well, can also could be used as a retirement planning tool, depending on what type of policy it is. And with CDs, I think the more people become savvy with investing and get involved with brokerage CDs, uh, you know, the, the, the really savvy investor who's very analytical and understands economics oftentimes uses CDs as a trading vehicle because they're merely just bonds, meaning trading them on price. So there, there is a way. To, to build wealth with CDs and, and even just to have them, even despite inflation issues, as a cash equivalent because, you know, you've got to have some sort of cash equivalent, you know, as part of your, your portfolio or, you know, building your wealth just for emergencies or if there are other buying opportunities out there as well. So it's it's a lot about education and, and passion, planning, and forward thinking, you know, the, are the three adjectives that come to mind when I think about building wealth, and, and getting to know as much as you can. That's all I want to say.
5: That's a great point. Just, this is Courtney. I just want to clarify the CDs. We talked about uh, bank CDs, which really don't do anything with interest, right. but LaShawn right. brought up a really great point in terms of broker CDs, and that's kind of like – That's Michelle. Um, a, I'm sorry, Michelle, my apologies. Exactly. Bo- okay. broker You're CDs fine. are so – um, important, and they're great tools, but a lot of people don't even have brokerage accounts. So I want people to exactly. move, if they want to do a CD, you can do a CD, but let's not do it at a bank because the options exactly. that they I have agree. are limited. Right. So right. I thought that was a great point. I forget, I forget. Sometimes I forget about brokerage CDs, but thank you.
0: All right, so let's go no to the next question to LaShawn. I know you talked about home ownership, and I know you were explaining to me something that's going on in Brooklyn. Um, can you explain to the audience a little bit about that, so if they're interested in being involved in that that process that you're going to talk about, they can um, go through you?
4: Sure. Um, so let me just start um, actually by talking about my own experience. I was a, um, I became a homeowner by buying a cooperative, so you don't have to um, purchase and maintain a whole house. You can still become a homeowner by purchasing a co-op apartment or, con- or a condominium. And as a young person, I was 26 years old, and I was fortunate to be able to purchase an apartment. But now, 20 years later, the value has increased 10 times. So even with investing in the CD or investing in other uh, financial vehicles to save money, the the, the home ownership route is, I mean, I mean, the return on your investment can be wonderful. And it also allows you to save money because it's sort of like you can get in at a fixed rate, right? So you actually know what you're going to be paying, as opposed to being uh, subject to rental or your um, your rent going up every year or so. And landlords who are actually getting rich off of your rental income, or actually saving their money because you're renting in their in a the property that they own. You know, so we need to sort of look at that uh, deeper and become more, I want to say, um, educated around, you know, the topic of being a homeowner and the benefits of it. And so the NACA program, I found out about a few years ago and have some friends who actually went through it. So NACA, N-A-C-A stands for, the acronym means the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America. They're a national organization, and they've been around about 30 years. And what they offer is a very low interest rate, about 3%, but they also offer opportunities for people to, purchase a home through counseling without having their you know have the mortgage be dependent on their credit right They also offer a wonderful opportunity for people to not have to have fifty thousand down fifty dollars fifty thousand dollars down as a down payment you know they cover those costs also they have a wonderful product through um certified through HUD where if you have section eight, you can use your section eight voucher. To uh, put towards a mortgage, as opposed to renting an apartment, so that allows people from all, from a, a wide variety of people to uh, get access to their wonderful product. And so, um, they're in in the, in the New York or New Jersey area, their main office is in Newark. And so, I've been working with the CEO and, and other um, uh, employees to try to lobby really to get an office opened up in Brooklyn. And so, where I work is in uh, Brownsville. And as you may or may not know, Brownsville has the largest concentration of public housing in the entire country. So to be able to yeah. bring this product to Brownsville and and provide those residents with an opportunity like this is is phenomenal. And so and there's you know high poverty and so on and so forth. And so we're looking to utilize this product as a way of helping you know the residents in Brownsville and surrounding areas to get access to home ownership and start to build wealth as opposed to being in poverty. So. Um, We're really excited about it.
0: That sounds wonderful. And to be able to use your Section 8 vouchers to pay up your mortgage is very interesting. Although Donald Trump does plan on cutting these Section 8 vouchers, so that opportunity might disappear for a lot of people. people But
4: but people already have them. Maybe for people not, you know, uh, maybe that may may not be an option moving forward. But if someone already has it, I mean, it's going to take time. So that's why it's important for us to move now.
0: Right, and let's hope you don't cut off the Section Eight vouchers that people currently have because they can do anything. So we'll look into well, that, true. and that's great advice that's and for true. people who want to um, look into the organization. It's NACA, and that stands for
4: Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, and the um, uh, website is NACA.com. dot com. And the and actually, oh, there's just another important point. Uh, we also will be creating opportunities for employment because what, what I you know what's really important is that the housing counseling and, you know, helping people in the community should be done by the people who live there. So the CEO has, um, you know, has pledged to uh, allow for that to happen. You know, he's actually supportive of, you know, hiring locally and training people and paying them to be trained to to provide the service in their own community. So that's another um, important component.
0: Sounds wonderful. So now I want to take the conversation to, Doreen. And I would like you to tell us, when clients come into your office, what is your approach with them when it comes to creating wealth? And I know that's a vague question, but you can answer that any way you choose.
3: Absolutely. So we have two kinds of clients, and I want to focus focus on one group because it's the group that I'm personally very passionate about. But the two groups are the individual and then the small business owner. As it relates to the individual, we have a, little, a lot of uh, individuals that come into our office, and they are young professionals in their mid-20s, and they have started making, let's say, in the forty thousands or so, and are proactive, you know, or want to be proactive about their financial um, independence because they're hearing so much that's going on in the news. So basically, we sit with them. And we assess where they currently are from a financial perspective. So we look at their student loan debt, their car debt, uh, whatever debt that they've acquired to that point. And then we also talk about what their intentions are. So this is where you take into consideration dreams and goals. Where do you want to be in 10 years? How do you want to retire uh, career-wise? Where do you want to go? Do you have interest in starting a business um, where how do you think you can generate other sources of income because we all know that we cannot rely solely on income received from our employer um, so we have those kinds of those kind of discussions and essentially we put our our clients on a Six weeks. It's almost like a six-week program where we meet with them on a weekly basis and we walk them through ways that they can capture their finances, monitor their finances on their own, and we teach them tools in order to take control. Um, things like, again, putting money into your 401K, paying down debt. And I wanted to just emphasize, debt is such a big thing in our community, and a lot of lenders and banks, it's as though they're praying after you know young people to get them into the debt spiral and ultimately you cannot have financial um, success if you have if you continue to accumulate debt. So we kind of try to educate our clients on this and we put them on a payment structure where they are able to pay down using the I prefer the snowball effect because it is it does have that psychological benefit. So through the program, we're essentially doing that education piece and then that mindset piece Um, because the last thing you want is a generation of individuals that are hopeless and that feel as though they are going to remain in their current situation, whatever it is, whether it's high debt, low income, for a very long period of time. We try to instill that empowerment in the clients that we work with.
0: All right, sounds very good. And, Walita, I want to throw the question to you. When you work with clients, because um, earlier you had mentioned about changing the mentality and focusing on the budget, and Doreen just kind of talked about the budget as well. So taking it past budget, what's the next step that you do when you work with your clients?
2: Okay, so um, after, like I said, with after the budget issue, you want to um, see how much that a person has. Um, and you want to see how did they even get there. Is it something that they learned from their parents, or is it just something that they picked up as a bad habit? Um, so after the budget issue, you really do need to figure out ways to tackle the debt, whether that means that they need to um, uh, figure out ways to work more so that they can pay it down. Um, if it's they need to um, temporarily put money aside for a vacation instead of going on a vacation, I'll put that money aside for the debt. The main thing is you want to tackle the debt. Um, so, But a lot of times when you talk to a client, you realize that the issue is more psychological uh, um, in terms of their environment. So they honestly don't even know that they're having an issue until you address that they do have an issue and that they have so much debt and they can't figure out a solution themselves. So there is no way they're going to pass on the generational wealth. Um, so, When I was talking to a client, I start off with what's the lowest debt that they have. And whether that's owing back a relative or it's a credit card or it's a loan or student loans, I need to find out every single thing. So they have to write down all of their debts. And then, like I said, we'll use the snowball effect and we'll go step by step to try to eliminate. So if they owe, say, the lowest thing they owe is $200, we pay that off first. Once we do that, we'll take that money and apply it to the next debt. Once we pay down that debt, then we'll take that money and we will pay down to the next debt, so on and so forth, until we pay it all off. But you don't stop paying all your other creditors. You continuously pay them, but you're only paying the minimum payment while you're paying off that lowest debt. Um, and so that's like the, the biggest thing that I, I need to find out for my client so that I can move forward. Um, with helping them with the next step, because after they have done that, then it's better, it's easier for them to put money aside for an emergency fund. And the reason you want to have that is because if you don't have an emergency fund, you'll rely back on your credit card, which again will put you back into a cycle of debt. Um, and I prefer having a thousand dollars for an emergency, um, and, and that's only because if you have a breakdown with your car. If you have some type of appliance in your house that really needs to get fixed, $1,000 usually, for the most part, can cover it. But on top of that, you'll need to also have three to six months' worth of bill money. And when I say bill money, these are things you can't live without. So you need to have a place to live along with the utilities, along with the water um, insurance and and things like that. Um, So you want to have your emergency fund built up so that you don't have to touch that money all the time um, for retirement, per se, because that's a separate fund. So okay, so let me, let me interrupt
0: you for a second. So I know you're talking about debt, and Doreen had talked about debt as well, and now you're talking about having a, a nest egg, like an insurance fund, just in case, a rainy day fund, just in case things go mm-hmm. wrong, which is something that people should have as well. And then when we talk about clearing up debt, we got to mention that student loan debt can't be erased unless you're like... It cannot be
2: erased.
0: Right. So you can't erase student loan debt. So those people out there that are taking out those student loans, just make sure you know you have to pay them back. You can't wipe that out on bankruptcy or anything like that. So I want to move the question, I want to move the conversation into a different direction, and I want to come back to LaShawn. And and LaShawn, with you, you talked about home ownership, right? And you also work with the, uh, the commerce. So besides home ownership, what are you seeing in your neighborhood that's affecting... Black people in terms of Why we are the poorest group Like what are we doing Wrong or what are we not doing enough of Well
4: I think That you know, going back to uh, One of the other panelists uh, Their statement about around consumerism You know consumerism is a Huge issue in our community You know um, it's the sort of um, You know trying to keep up with the Joneses You know for lack of a better term And I think that the mentality As someone else mentioned that is a is a real issue and we have to we have to shift that mindset and understand what it means to you know what it means to be wealthy i mean I, I remember a few years ago i ran a workshop and i asked the question can you tell me the difference between an asset and a liability most people couldn't they didn't even understand what an asset was versus a liability you know so i think that the majority of folks who tend to be low income or you know just um you know, working class what have you, really, you know, do not understand that they live in a world of liabilities without increasing their assets. And, you know, having a car is not an asset, it's a liability, you know. And so I think that mindset is really the main issue and really supporting, you know, others to move ahead. And I say that by just looking at our surrounding businesses, you know, so I'll go back to where I work. So I run a nonprofit, um, as, as well as serving at, with, at, with the chamber, I run a nonprofit called Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corp., and we have a GED program, and as well as an after-school program. But when you look at the business corridor where we are, the majority of those businesses are, pe- are owned by people who do not live in our communities. So if you're not able, if you're spending all of your money, if you shop where you live and you're spending all of your money and it goes and it leaves your community, that creates a huge void. You know that's a problem. So we need to also, and we are pushing with the chamber to increase the number of people who not only um, own homes in their community but also own the businesses there. And so those—that's another you know key element uh, that we need to look at.
0: Okay, great, great information.
2: May I add something to that? Sure, sure. So I I do agree with that as far as the consumerism. Um, There was it's a report called the Nielsen report. Black people or African-Americans as a whole, we're, we're poor essentially because of our consumerism um, ways, but in terms of our spending power, we actually have a lot of money. Um, they said that we as African-Americans are only 13.7% of the population, and in 2015, we spent $1.1 trillion as consumers, which is the 15th largest GDP in the world. So when you think about it, we really do have a lot of money, but like, as you said, we just need to allocate that money into our communities, and we need to, you know, distribute the wealth along generations, and we would, once we figure that part out, we will actually be considered one of the wealthiest groups in America because the money actually is there.
0: Well, I think we need to um, open up our own businesses and support our own businesses, and that's one of the ways we'll keep the money in our community, assuming the businesses are in our community. But we first have to build our communities, right, because a lot of us are renters. A lot of us don't own property. So, in in essence, we really don't have a community. We just live in a neighborhood. So, we have to start building our community. And LaShawn mentioned something about the after-school programs. Uh, Donald Trump has a bill to cut funding to the after-school programs, which is going to put a lot of kids on the street after school around three o'clock with nothing to do. So that, that's something that we have to so, fight. Can and, I can and I ask about.
4: that? I'm sorry. So sure. this is something very important for everyone to understand. So the after-school program that so there are different levels of funding, right? We have city, we have state, and we have federal. The federal program that he's talking about cutting is the 21st century program, right? So that's one program, but we. So the program that we run is supported by the Department of Youth and Community Development, which is a city, local, you know, pro, uh, uh, city-based program and supported locally. So we are essentially not impacted by that, right? But the 21st century programs that are in schools can be impacted. So that's why it's important for us to understand the different levels of funding and we, and what it's attached to. So I happen to know that certain schools do have 21st century programs. So now that I, when I became aware yesterday, I believe, or the day before about what was could be happening, now I'm going to have conversations with those principals to talk about what is the fallback plan. If you lose this funding, then what? You know, we need to make sure that we all understand and are all connected so that these children are not just sort of left hanging in the balance, you know. And that's really, and, and you know, I, I just want to emphasize, you know, that of these federal programs that um, are, you know, at risk, there's still city and state-level programs that are intact for the, for the most part. So that's important for us to, to be aware of and know.
0: Okay, so now let's talk about um, buying black, owning black businesses, supporting our businesses. Um, so Shalia, I know you have a business, right? What What is your support for your business? Is it our community, our people who are supporting your business, or is it others? Is it a mix? What is it like, and what are you doing to to get more black people to support your business?
6: Well, I would say I definitely have a mix. Um, I definitely have a mix considering the neighborhoods that I've been in. But I have found recently most people that are finding me, there are specifically looking for black skin care and a black skin care specialist. So, um, yes, getting a lot of people looking for people just to treat black skin.
0: All right. And – Doreen, as a business owner as well, what is your clientele like and what are you doing to increase your clientele to, to have more black clientele coming into your business?
4: Well,
3: I, I, my target is, um, you know, the black clientele. So what I'm doing is I'm going out of the community and specifically focusing on talking to um, black um, individuals and women specifically because I've found there's actually such a, an increase in entrepreneurship in the black community and so you know this all came about because of a a little bit of a fear or concern that i had that here we are we're having so many you know black individuals that are making a lot of money in entrepreneurship i hope that they have the tools that they can manage their their profits or manage the revenue appropriately um so i'm going out into the community i'm speaking to groups um wherever i can if i Meet a young business owner. I'm definitely speaking to them about, hey, what are you doing? Where are you investing your money? Are you putting it back in your business? What other investment vehicles are you interested in finding out about? All of those things.
0: All right, sounds good. So I want to open this question up to the whole panel, right? How many of us actually have accounts in black-owned banks, right? Not black-operated banks, but actual black-owned banks. So does anybody on this panel have a, bank, a banking black? Basically. Okay, so this is
4: LaShawn No, this is LaShawn So I um, have a personal And business account As well as my organization Has an account with City National Bank uh, The Black-owned bank in New York and New Jersey They're based in Newark But they do have a branch in East New York As well as Harlem So we do bank with them And we encourage everyone to actually held a community walk To have to march people literally over to the bank To open accounts So yes um, but a lot of, it's, what's interesting is that a lot of people are unaware of where the black banks are. So that's another, you know, issue that we have. I think that they would bank more if they knew where they were.
0: Well, and we only have Google 21 search. left
4: about the country, actually. They're only 21, so they're actually, we need to support them more because they're, they're dwindling.
0: Do a simple Google search, and you guys can find a list of black banks all around the country. And some black banks, you can bank online, so you don't necessarily need a physical branch in your neighborhood. So if people were really interested and they wanted the information, the same way they would search for the new Jordans that are coming out or the Beyonce tickets, they would do a search for black bank and they would open up an account in a black bank and just, you know, support that because then that money can come back in the community via loans and, and good interest rates and things like that. So it's important that we bank black as well. So I also wanted to bring up supporting black businesses. So there was a An incident recently that was online is a video that went viral of a young lady, black lady, who was shopping in an Asian store, an Asian beauty supply store, and the owners of the store accused her of stealing eyelashes. Now, eyelashes cost about $10, but they accused her of stealing these eyelashes. Turns out, from what I understand, that she did not steal the eyelashes, but yet they assaulted her and detained her and threw her on the floor and choked her in reminiscent of Eric Garner and... I was very disturbed when I saw that. Then a couple of days later, the NAACP came into the store and they demanded an apology and some sort of compensation. And if that could happen, then they wouldn't boycott the store. So I want to know how you guys feel about that. And I'm going to start that off with Courtney.
5: I did, I'm not. A, I didn't see the video, um, so I'm not really sure about exactly what happened. But my concern is, is that um, when something like that happens to one of us, you know, there's no options. There, there shouldn't be any option of, oh, if you pay us or you give us apology, we're not going to boycott you. No, it's it's done. Our relationship is over. And I think we to kind of back go back a little bit into um, what's going on politically. These things start creating opportunities, and when there's opportunities, there's an opportunity to have a business there. So the next thing I think that the NAACP should have done there is that, okay, we're, doing, we're boycotting you, and what we're going to do is we're going to support a business that mimics yours to make sure that you go out of business because we want to let you know, and anybody else who's out there that might have gotten it confused, that we're not going to tolerate this type of behavior because we spend our money here and we expect to be treated with respect. And if you can't do that because you've shown that you can't, then we don't do business with you, period. There's no negotiation. I feel that we negotiate our black dollar entirely too much.
0: So does Walida or Doreen want to answer that question?
5: Okay. Yes, well, I
3: couldn't agree more because I actually saw the video and it was heartbreaking. Um, whether, I mean, I'm not, going to comment on what she did or what she didn't do, but you just don't treat people the way um, the same lady was treated. And I think given the fact that the business was in a black community, I agree there shouldn't be compromise. There shouldn't be apologize, pay a fine. We're talking about, you know, individual dignity and respect, and we shouldn't put a price on that. So what the community needs to do is to kind of come together. And the businesses that are, I think, funded by black people We need to start creating those businesses ourselves so that we can support our own communities. Um, There's no reason why this individual felt like he could get away with doing something like that and still have a business that's going to be supported by the black community.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, If in the case, because I'm not sure about the full story about the young lady, but whether the situation was her fault or not, her punishment was severe for what her crime was, um, and so for that, I believe that the best way to retaliate in that type of instance would be to um, cut off all funds to that business and, like the young lady said before, um, put it towards a different business because maybe legally they're, they may win in court considering how courts are nowadays, but if we take away the lifeline, which is the money flow to their business, then It's unnegotiable. They're going to have to close down, and we can build another business there that will better treat us and that we could feel more comfortable supporting. So I do believe that that's the best way to handle an issue is to just take away what they need the most, and that's customers and the money that the customers bring.
0: Excellent advice. So I want to touch on another topic, which is the black church. So the black church receives millions and millions of dollars every Sunday. And I'm not sure if we're depositing a lot of that money into black-owned banks. And I don't know if that money that's going into the black church is being reinvested into the black community as a whole. Like the black church might invest it in some some areas that they're involved in, but everything can't be about them. Like they need to spread that more into the community, even if they're not directly involved in whatever that may be. So anybody can touch on that. How do you feel about the black church being that it's a business and it's an entity and what they are doing with their money that re- that they receive every Sunday, because we we are still the poorest group. Well, Lita mentioned we have a lot of wealth, but we're not clearly doing a lot with the wealth. So where does the black church play a part in this? And anybody can answer that question.
2: Um, so I'm going to try to attempt to answer this the best way possible. But um, I'm originally from Indiana, which I'm from Gary, Indiana, so I'm on the border of Chicago. So my church is actually in Chicago. Um, but what, my pastor there is black. Um, but what I have noticed with the money that he received from the church is that he really doesn't take any of the money from himself. He takes a lot of that money, and he's built an after-school program because you have a lot of uh, single mothers who or single fathers who, when they get off of work, the kids don't have anywhere to go. And in case you guys haven't heard about Chicago, it's not the safest place in the world. Um, and the church is on the south side of all places. So um, he's built an after-school program. He's building a a clinic so that people can come in for health care and not have to pay outstanding um, fees to go see a doctor, as well as having different initiatives to try to get the violence to go down. So um, I know we go to the White Sox Stadium a lot. We do marches. And, you know, he's reaching out to political figures in the community to try to get them to advocate to Help reduce the amount of crime. So I, I can't really speak for all churches But I do know in That particular church They are trying their best to Make, make sure the money is being allocated back Into the community um, As far as the black owned bank I'm not sure where the money is uh, Currently but I, I believe That that would be something that maybe the parish Should look into to make sure that The money is you know handled with People who care about our situation
0: Right, because it's a two-part solution, right? One, we need to bank Black. Two, we need to reinvest in our community with the dollars that they receive, right? So your church is investing in the community. They're investing in the people, and that's a wonderful thing, and that should be the standard. We also want to make sure that church is hopefully banking Black um, so that we're supporting those Black business institutions, which is a really good thing. So we have about seven minutes left on the show, and I want to give everybody an opportunity to take a minute or two to kind of... Tell us what they do specifically, what they business, how people can reach you guys and contact you guys if they want to hire you as consultants or work with you on any particular thing. And all this information is also going to be included in the description on the website, which is Black Pill Radio. It's also going to be included in our on our YouTube page as well. So any of the information that's given, you guys will be able to. If you can't write it down now because you're not in that position. Um, You'll be able to go back to the website or your YouTube page, and you can look at all the links that everybody has provided. So I'm going to start with LaShawn Muhammad, and I'm going to let you close this out first.
4: Okay, so um, it was wonderful. This is, thank you, Tyler, for having me on. It was wonderful to virtually meet all of you, um, wonderful information. Um, I just want to just say one thing um, for, um, regarding the last topic. I want to include the Nation of Islam in this conversation. Uh, my husband, is, as you know, is a minister of uh, Mosque 7C in Brooklyn, and the mosque is also another Spiritual institution that does work a lot in the black community, in our community, and also with churches, right? And they do also bank with City National Bank. And, you know, I think it's important that we have a really open conversation regarding the spiritual work, right? And, you know, so you, whether it be at a, through a church or through a mosque, you know, we need to work, you, you know, um, as a unified uh, group. Right to to address these issues in our community. So I just wanted to say that. The other thing is um, I can be reached. My website, um, as I said, I run. I'm an executive director of Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation. Our website is uh, www.cbedc.co. I also, um, as I mentioned, serve as the Brooklyn director of the Long Island African American Chamber of Commerce. Um, and my uh, phone number, actually, that can be reached is seven one eight. 498 My email address is info, I-N-F-O at c-b-e-d-c dot c-o. We are diligently working to help people establish new businesses, to expand your business, to um, as I mentioned, become a homeowner. Feel free to reach out anytime and I'll be happy to share information on upcoming events and workshops that we're having. Thank
0: you. Okay, and I want you're welcome. Thank you very much. So, Walida, would you like to finish this up?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, my um, website is Walida, and it's spelled W-I-L-L-I, Tiz and Tom, as in alpha, Cherie, dot com, and that's all one word. Um, and you can go on there. You can subscribe. You can contact me. Um, and I have other information on there that you can see, different types of blogs. And... Um, I'm primarily, youth. If you want to be educated about finance, as well as figuring out a plan to help you to be able to get out of debt and start to accumulate wealth. And again, it's Willita W I L L I T A, Cherie C H E R I E dot com.
0: Excellent. And Doreen, you are up next.
3: Okay. And it was such a pleasure being here today, and a lot of great information. So we are on Facebook. Uh, you can search Rayen R A Y E E N Consulting C O N S well Consulting essentially, and our website is Rayen Consulting R A Y E E N Consulting dot com. Or you can shoot us an email at info at Rayen Consulting dot com. And we do have social media such as our Instagram page, which we post a lot of great information. Um, on personal finance and small business finance. And that's Rayen, R-A-Y-E-E-N, underscore
6: consulting.
0: Outstanding. Miss Shalia.
6: Okay, so my website is walkersapothecary.com. My email address is shalia at Apothecary. So that's S H A L E A at W A L K E R S A P O T H E C A R Y dot com. And I can be reached at 908 230 2099. And on my website, is you will see everything available as far as spa menus, you can buy products. We have three different skincare lines. And thank you so much for having me here today.
0: You're welcome. And that's a black owned business, people. So please get out there and support. And last but not least, Ms. Courtney.
5: Uh, Yes, I'm Courtney Richardson. I'm the founder of The Ivy Investor. I can be found on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ivy Investor. Um, Basically, we do a lot of millennial investing with women, but people of all ages. Um, I'll be doing investing programs live and online. And then also, Brown Girls Do Invest on April 1st in Chicago. I'll be on a panel at noon. So I look forward to working with everyone and hope to see you again. Thank you for having me.
0: You're wonderful. You're wonderful. You guys are all wonderful. Thank you for the great advice. Remember, go to the website, blackpillradio.com. On the website, we'll have all our social media followings. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, um, YouTube, and then we also have the uh, Twitter page and we have the Instagram page, along with everything else is on the website. Soon on the website, we're going to have a resource page. So everybody who's been on the panel, we're going to create a mini bio with them and links to their website, links to products that they're selling, all of that will be on the website so you can find these people. So if you want to contact these people for an interview or have them appear on your radio program or your podcast, um, we'll put that resource link up so everybody can do that. Also, you can always go to the website to rebroadcast what we just played on this podcast today and any previous podcast that we're going to do. Um, we're a black-owned business as well, so we appreciate your support. We appreciate if you would share, subscribe, like, follow us, um, comment in our Instagram so we can, you know, talk back to you guys as well if you're not able to make the broadcast. And um, just follow the people who are online and support them because everybody who comes online is doing this so they can spread information to you guys. You know, that's what the black pill is all about. We want to give you that that dose of medication so you guys can be woke. All right. So it's better than taking a sleeping pill. So with that said, I thank you guys for listening today. We're going to close it out, and as always, be safe, and we'll see you guys in two weeks.